Good morning, church. And it is good to be uh, together today. Glad that you are here with us. I'm going to pull my, my full iPad notes up today. I'm going to assume that's an amen. <laughs> we'll kind of go with that as we get rolling today. Uh, today we're going to be a little bit more subdued, or at least I'm going to do my best to be a little bit more subdued as we get into this. We've been walking through the Song of Solomon. And today we're going to continue. Last week I found myself trying to put a lot into one and then found myself splitting it out. And even this week I thought, Lord, I just you know, almost want to keep dragging it out because it's so pertinent for us today. And, and we'll, we'll start to finish up and get into Romans. If you're visiting with us today, we're glad that you're here. Um, we'll be leading a group. If you'll be praying for us, we'll leave tomorrow morning. We're taking a group of 30 to Israel uh, for a few days and so you can be praying for us but I'll, I'll miss you but when we get back uh, the plan is to get back into Romans as long as you give me permission to change my mind are y'all okay with that so we run through it but it's been a nice little break to come in a Song of Solomon <clears throat> and what we're talking about in Song of Solomon chapter 4 today uh, it's pretty tender and so in that I don't think it needs extra me animation are y'all okay with that if that's okay with y'all um, if you're new with us today or maybe you've been visiting with us today, you can go back and listen to where we've been. But the recap from last week, I, I don't want to go back like three and four weeks at a time. But from last week, we talked about practicing praise with your spouse and your relationship and how God uses that as the practice ground for us praising him and how it works in there together. And we talked about our praise. When we praise our spouse, it should be familiar. In other words, words that they understand. And so if you go back, you know, your, your teeth are like, you know, goats. They're all there or whatnot. It's kind of like, oh, that's weird. It's just, so that meant something to her. If you say that to your wife today, it wouldn't mean the same thing. Um, it needs to be focused. In other words, your spouse is the the, the person who you're thinking of not yourself and not someone else and it needs to be full in other words without contaminants from the outside it needs to be focused and, and full of your spouse and we just talked about how that praises and that's how our praise of God is supposed to be right our praise of God is supposed to be familiar because we can't praise him in disobedience only in obedience it's supposed to be um, focused he's supposed to have our attention it's who he is not what we can get from the relationship and then finally it's supposed to be full it's supposed to be without distraction that's that's how we praise him and we see how scripture points us to Jesus and it points us to that right relationship with God through him and that continues here in chapter 4 we were made to praise him if you were to go into Psalm 150 I won't read it all but if you were just to look at verse 6 it would say this let everything that has breath praise the Lord praise the Lord and that's at the end of a whole psalm that's just praise him like this praise him like this praise him like this it's praise is such an important part of our relationship with God and with our spouse it, we find it all the way through scripture but praise isn't the end all that, that praise has a is like a door that opens up to something completely new I, I don't know about you we, we're talking about weddings and stuff coming up now we've got graduation parties going on so a lot of baking has been happening at my house and although I love the smell of food in my house do you know what's really depressing when you leave and it smells wonderful from all the food and you get home and there's nothing on the countertop right dad's not in that depressing like you the the smell of it got you excited 
for what was going to be put out like you the tasting of it makes it really good listen some of you like LaCroix right don't raise your hand that's embarrassing but what I mean by that is this is it smells like it's going to taste good and then you drink it and it's so defeating (laughs) I mean I know you're not going to die of some chemical contamination I, I get that but but really and truly there's a joy in that taste and, and our praise leads us to delight. And that's what, that's what we're going to be looking at at Solomon and here in the marriage. When we talk about this part, we're talking about something we don't talk a lot about of in church. And mom and dad, we're going to be really sensitive to that. I, I promise in that. But in that, we're going to be talking about the physical part of our relationship uh, in marriage. And we need to. Um, here's what Colossians 3.17 says. It says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me tell you, that is not for every area of your life except the physical relationship you have with your spouse. I want you to know that. That verse is not 99.999% applicable. It's actually always applicable. That everything that you do in word or in deed like be done in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to the father through him and that's the lens that we're going to look through this passage with and this is super true in marriage look up a couple of verses proverbs chapter 5 verse 18 says it says it this way rejoice in the wife of your youth ecclesiastes 9 verse 9 says it this way You, you see in the solomon tie here enjoy life with the wife whom you love let me tell you what this doesn't mean like enjoy those early years because it's only downhill from there that is not what (laughs) some of you are like are you sure no i'm certain i'm certain of it What, what it means is enjoy life with the wife of your youth even when your days are numbered even when your days are old even when the long and stretched out and sunsets are more uncomfortable than sunrises enjoy life and delight in the wife of your youth and 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 ladies i i don't think it's a theological stretch to say that god wants you to enjoy life with the husband of your youth i think that's okay i don't think i'm putting something into the bible that is not god's intent in that so what do we do how do we do that how do we delight in god's blessing when it comes to our relationship with our spouse in a physical way so song of solomon chapter 4 verse 10 the first line only we'll get to the rest i promise i won't take stuff out of context how beautiful is your love my sister and my bride okay here's what i want you to know last week we went one through nine and it was about words and praise and there's a lot of words in here and and listen god can get your mind imagining well enough you don't need my help in that all right but we use that talk about praise well the word love here this is a shift see verse one through nine is that word the edification this from here on verse 10 and below is descriptive in fact this word love here would would really be translated physical expression of romantic love that's what he's saying 
He says, you, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How, how beautiful is this physical expression of our romantic love together. This is the banner of everything else we're going to read in here. And I promise it's going to stay safe, biblically accurate, and I believe we're all going to leave here better because God's word is good. You follow me? Now, here's the key. It gets physical, and it should because intimacy is a delight that God designed for a man and a wife. I think it's a blessing that's supposed to be unique, cherished, and values. God created it in his plan, and it ties us into knowing him as a part of his plan. And I would tell you this, if you read through scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you will see the enemy's attack in this area of God's people's life all the way through all the way through because as long as God and God's plan is just a thought as long as God and God's plan is just words it's not really dangerous but when God's plan starts bearing fruit when God's plan starts becoming evident and obvious, when we taste and see that he is good, when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, when we see the reality of the confession of our faith, that threatens the kingdom of hell. That breaks change and that chains and that tears down wall. And so I think a lot of times we, we see this attack on the physical relationship between a man and a wife to water it down, to make it unimportant, to make it destroyed, to make it meaningless, to make it simply a function. And that waters down our anticipation of the physical reality of heaven. The number of people who claim Christ but don't believe heaven is a physical place is growing exponentially right now. Because we worship Jesus with our lips, but our hearts through our flesh deny him. And if marriage is an example of oneness, of what true oneness is that we have with God the Father through Jesus Christ... If this can never become reality for what God's plan is, then it's a lot easier to neglect this. Are you, are you following me this morning? It's so good. Read with me verse 10 and 11. We'll read all of verse 10 and all of verse 11 as we get into this. Uh, the Bible says this. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. And the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. There's some pretty sweet language in this. Lebanon was known for its cedar trees. I mean, like that's where the best perfumes came from. Remember, he's describing physical things, physical delight. He's describing their romantic interaction. And there's a lot to look at here. And listen, I, I don't prohibit you at all on Father's Day from reading this before you go to bed at night. It's totally all right. But check this out. There's two words in there I don't want you to miss. Milk and honey. See, I think we can get distracted by the perversions that the world put into our, our vocabulary. And we miss God's vocabulary. 
See, God's vocabulary puts something that every one of God's people would never miss. When the word milk and honey appear together next to each other in Scripture, it makes them immediately think of what? The promised land. Immediately. You can't get away from it. And when when someone thought of the promised land, something very big and very different came to mind. And so if this is your first time in church or if this is your 112th, let me give you that picture. The promised land was God's special, unique gift to his people. It was meant for them and for them alone. It was fertile and filled with blessings. In fact, when the spies went in originally as they were coming to the edge of it, they went in and they found out that Easily, they brought back clusters of grapes, pomegranates, and figs. These things that were delightful to the taste, that were a delicacy, that were rich in nourishment, and a joy to take part in. And that is what God planned for his people. Listen to what Numbers 13, 23 says. And they came from the valley of Eshcol and came, cut down from there a branch, a single cluster of grapes, and carried it between a pole of two of them, between two of them. And they brought pomegranates and figs. Verse, chapter 13 of Numbers, verse 27. And they told him, we came to the land which you sit to us, and it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. The language there is so incredible. When, when a person who belonged to the people of God heard milk and honey in any form or fashion, they started to think, this is God's special promise. This is God's unique promise for us. It's abundant, it's fruitful, it gives its fruit and its joy and life freely. God has prepared it for us. Our role is to delight in him and be obedient to him in it. It was their special possession, Deuteronomy chapter 32. But it didn't belong to them. It was being held in trust by them. In other words, they were to steward and to care for it. And the way that we know that is this, is that God says, if you steward it well, if you take care, if you are obedient to me, if you live in the promised land according to my instructions and my directions, it'll be a blessing all the time. It will be filled with riches and goodness and delight and joy and it will be sweet and good. But if you do not, if you treat it as if I have given it to you to do with what you will, how you will, when you will, curses and discipline and consequences will be upon you. That's Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 28. Chapter chapter 28. You see, The promised land was something worth fighting for, worth waiting for, it was worth seeking, but it was also something worth delighting in under God's ways. And so it was a reason to glorify him. And God used promised land imagery to talk about the romantic love between a man and a wife when it gets physical. But he didn't stop there. Go in your Bible to verse 12 through 15. Go a little bit further here. It says, A garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. 
Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates, and all its choices flute with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense and myrrh and aloes, with all the choice spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water, flowing streams from Lebanon. Man, once again, this imagery isn't on accident. It's almost as if the spirit of the living God was communicating what was real in front of this couple and what was true in a bigger fashion. See, he mentions the promised land, milk and honey imagery, and then he introduces what? Garden imagery. And this garden imagery isn't just of your garden in the back, is it? I mean, I don't know about your house, but I don't have an orchard, an orchard of pomegranates with all the choicest, in other words, best perfect fruits, flowing with henna and nard and saffron and calamus and cinnamon, frankincense and myrrh and aloes and all the spices and a garden with a fount of living water. This imagery is meant to be perfect. And where is the perfect garden in Scripture? It's Eden. Eden has a description all into its own because it's not just any garden. It's a perfect garden. And what frames in the season that Adam and Eve are in the garden is their relationship with one another and with God. And Solomon uses that language here to, to articulate and picture physical romantic love between a man and a woman. It was something secured by the Lord. When Adam and Eve sinned, he secured it. Sin wasn't, wasn't gonna dwell there. It was a place that they were to steward and to experience blessing. They weren't supposed to pretend it belonged to them as if they were owners. It belonged to them as they cared and were in obedience to God, just like the promised land. But there's more. In the, promise, or in the, in the garden, that relationship is heightened between man and wife. The Bible says in verse chapter 2, verse 18, that in the garden is where Adam and Eve knew that they were completing one another as a couple. In chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, it talks about the unity that they have with one another. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Leaving his father and mother, becoming one. In chapter 2, verse 25, it's a place of safety and vulnerability. And they were both naked and unashamed. This is the garden imagery. This place that is full of God's blessing and where shame and vulnerability can't mix. Security and safety and unity and completion. And God wanted his spirit to use this language to articulate the physical relationship of romance between a husband and and a wife. I might could stop here and you could probably carry the sermon out the rest of the way. But I have a calling and if you get out too soon, you'll start expecting it. So let's dig in. Let's go to the garden. The language is rich and safe, right? The, when you think of the garden of Eden, the vulnerability, the security, the unity, when, when he says this is the garden, he describes it as perfect and living water, life-giving. It's rich and it's safe. I want you to know 
a God-honoring relationship between a man and wife when it comes to their physical romantic love should be both of these. Shame should have no home. Both the man and woman should actively participate in sharing and receiving of the unity and the safety and the vulnerability that comes with a God-honoring intimacy. There should be wholeness to it, church. Like I get life is busy. I get days are long. And I feel like the older I get, the earlier my bedtime wants to come, amen? And so I understand, and I know that God does too. When it comes to that intimate physical relationship between a man and his wife, there are going to be times, there are going to be days when intimacy is a gift and a delight to give. And that's where your joy is. The delight of the riches may be deeper than the physical sensations in that moment. That's okay, that's good too. But, and guys, I think I'm talking to us now but if one spouse is always giving the blessing and the other is never or rarely returning it then the joy of giving can turn cold because of neglect neglect and disobedience husbands you are to steward your wife wives you are to care for your husband And I think that safety and security is threatened. That intimacy starts pulling apart. When we start allowing these different things in. I mean, think about what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. When they're in the garden, everything is good. The tree of life in the middle. And the serpent introduces something from outside of God's plan. And as soon as Adam and Eve take hold of that from which is outside and brings it in, what's the word that they use to describe themselves to God? When he says, why are you hiding from me? They said we were naked and so we were what? Ashamed. You see, when we bring in things outside of God's plan into our physical romantic relationship with our spouse I want you to know shame's going to enter and that that may be some of the standard things that we see in this world images and videos and promiscuity and pornography and those things but it can just as well be books and work and children and life and all the things and what the things and all all of that can be brought in and those some of those things work and life and busyness they're part of your story but if they are defining and redefining what's going on in your romantic relationship your expectation should be that hurt will follow because that's the biblical model from genesis chapter 3 all the way through revelation and then there's some things that don't ever belong in our grasp as well. When those things come in, that temptation brings shame. And so using garden imagery, we get the joy of seeing Jesus in it. Jesus talks about entering the kingdom of heaven. He said, it's better to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye than with two into the pit of hell. What does that even mean? 
It means it's better to give up something that seems to give you temporary gratification so that in the long run, you can see the fullness of joy that God has in store for you. That's why the word repent finds itself all through scripture. Listen to what Psalm 31 verse one says. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Your righteousness deliver me. I want you to hear this. Shame is not a God-honoring part of a believer's story. It was an additive that was never supposed to be in there and one that only remains as long as we embrace what should not happen. So what does that mean? Your physical relationship with your spouse, your wife and your husband. Treat it like the garden. And I'm not talking about all the things where I'm talking about in the time of physicality. Cultivate it. Elevate it. Value it. Delight in it. And the shame that clings to the stench of this world will find itself excused. That's the garden illustration. The promised land illustration. Go backwards working into it. It, it's, it is, but it's not just about intimacy and unity, excuse me, unity and oneness and lacking shame. Do you know that first line in verse 10? It means that your romantic, physical interaction, your love giving is supposed to be filled with delights. Have you ever thought about that? for the other person. That promised land imagery is saying that, listen, you have treats from the Lord. God has created. Do you know, just like the promised land, just like the garden, that God created marriage between a man and a woman? And do you know that his goodness in his timing, in his terms, when obeying and following his will in your relationship is filled with treats that are meant to be enjoyed freely, but freely shared, freely given, and duly delighted. The promised land was a place filled with celebration and abundance, and they all marked one thing. God's goodness. Do you know in your physical romantic expressions with your spouse that every action should proclaim the goodness of God? Milk and honey, prospering in abundance. Your relationship when it's physical is full of blessing. I think sometimes because we know the temptation that sin brings in to physical things, we've done some harm to our kids. We haven't demonstrated nor have we articulated how good the promised land and the garden imagery of physical romantic expression between a husband and a wife is and why it's worth 
waiting for and fighting for and seeking after. And when we do that, we know there are snakes in their garden and we are hoping someone else warns them. And so we just get scared. And we don't talk about the goodness of God in that physical relationship. And then we just have to help them unpack the shame that we never wanted them to walk through. There's beauty and abundance and joy. And it is so good. And your children need to see that and they need to hear that. And you need to experience that and to live that and you will not if you keep bringing your ideas, your preferences, yourself and making that the center of that romantic expression of love because you're afraid you'll miss out on something you heard or saw that should never have had a place in your heart anyway. Church, this language is so sweet. Could you imagine, ladies, if every time you showed that romantic, intimate expression, you thought, your thought was, how can I help him how can I help him experience the blessing God intended for him when he, when he created marriage? Men, can you imagine, flip it around, every time you show romantic, intimate expression, your thought was, how can I help her? How can I help her experience the blessing of God? The blessing that God intended for them. see, the world pushes this thing that says marriage is about us, but the bed is about me. That is anti-biblical. That is against the word of God. Hebrews 13, 4, I learned as a young man and as a dad of a teenager and a daughter. I was getting married soon. <laughs> I think of it more often. In fact, I journal in their Bibles and they both have circles on this one. Let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. Let it be, let the marriage be, be undefiled. God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. But I'll tell you how I, I learned it. I just learned it this way. Keep your wedding bed pure. Keep it pure. It's not just about physically not letting others in, which it absolutely covers, but it's about letting activity of that place, other things in that activity that would throw you off, 
from the pureness. What is the pureness of the wedding bed supposed to be? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, giving himself for her, that he might sanctify her, cleansing her, washing her with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. Man, it means when you lay down with your wife in the bed, this is what purity looks like. It takes care of the garden and it delights in the promise. And we have an example of that. Look at verse 16 through 5, verse 1. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow upon my garden. Let his spices flow, that's the husband, wife. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat of his choicest fruits. Husband, again, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey, and I drank the wine with my milk. And the Bible says others, that's not by God. A guy wrote that in there, I'll talk about that. Eat friends drink and be drunk with love here's what I want you to hear his language is soft and tender his foot is his engine is revving but he will refuse to slam his foot to the floor to make it about him he asks awake would you have me? And she says, yes, I would have you. And he speaks this language, not of ferocity, not of hormonal, ridiculous world garbage, of delighting in the promise of God. Hush. And that's what relationships are supposed to be like, Charlie Brown. That's God's design. That's his plan. The other thing I have a personal issue with, if you go to chapter five, verse one, part B, I don't think people are supposed to be watching. I don't know that it is others. I wonder if it's the Lord. Eat, drink. Be drunk with love. In other words, you fully delight in the blessing I've provided. You have my stamp of approval. What a weird thought that God could bless something that the world has co-completely twisted. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper in a minute. You may be thinking, how in the world, Pastor? How do we go from there to here? Because the Lord knows you aren't perfect and he knows life isn't perfect. And if you read in your Bible, you'll read something in in verse two of five one where almost a time period has passed. This is what it says. She says, I slept but my heart awake, a sound my beloved is knocking at the door saying, open to me, my sister, my love, my perfect one. 
Remember the physical, we're still there. Verse three, ladies, but I'd put off my garment. How could I put it on? I'd bathe my feet. How could I soil them? Do I need to unpack that, mom? He's approaching her, and for whatever reason, she is pushing him away. But after a moment, her heart changes, and she goes to open the door. Look in your Bible at verse 6. I opened the door to my beloved, but he was gone. He turned his back on her. Their life isn't perfect. And when we start turning our back on one another, that pain is real because it lets sin in or it traps God's will out, which means you're trapped with sin. But don't worry. Verse eight, she says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, tell him where I am. She says, I want to seek him. Verse 6, chapter 6, verse 3. She says, I am my beloved, and he is mine. And he grazes among the the lilies. There's restoration. When I think about communion, I think about a God who made me fearfully and wonderfully. And I closed my heart to him and trapped myself with my sin. But he didn't turn his back on me. He stayed. And even since I have been betrothed to him, the bride to my bridegroom, even when I sin, he'll stand at the door and knock. open the door to me and I'll recline with you. Communion reminds me something better than marriage. Something better than a husband and a bride. It reminds me that I was broken. But that God in his perfect plan was perfect and allowed himself to be broken for me. So that every moment my lips could say, I am my beloved and he is mine. This morning, I I don't know where you are. Scripture tells us not to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And when we disobey God, discipline comes. He says, it's cursed. 
And right now, I want you to be excited about the romantic relationship in your marriage if you're married. If you don't have children in the home, model that joyful marriage. Speak of its goodness to the honor of God in a way that brings him glory. Talk about the way that Jesus, when you had turned your back or they had turned your back, was faithful to bring you back together. And the one who healed the broken has made something new. But this morning, maybe it's confession, maybe it's repentance. Maybe you have never seen that romantic, physical interaction between a husband and a wife as an intentional act of worship, which it is. The best time to plant an oak tree was whenever you got married. That was the best time to get it all right. The next best day is right here, right now. Put the Lord to the test. See if his promise is sure. Here's what you'll find. I guarantee it. The King of kings and Lord of lords can keep that promise secure without a thought. Let that reality spur the truth of your life that the promise that he has for you in eternity, not a garden, not a promised land, but the kingdom of God is just as real and is just as sweet and is just as delightful. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Lord, we praise you for, for this song of Solomon. Lord, I praise you that that you have made such goodness. Lord, I just pray right now that you would protect the marriages in this room from the serpent, from the foxes that spoil the garden. Lord, I, I pray that for the first time today, Lord, you may have a husband's lips or a wife's lips saying, Lord, I want to worship you with the husband or wife of my youth. Lord, I pray that you would change generations because of the obedience of your people. And that over and over and over again, that the lies of this world would be proven false by the goodness of the blessing of walking closely with our God. Lord, if there's a man or woman in this room who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, marriage bed has nothing compared to the, to the place in the room you have prepared for us. And so, Father, I pray that you would turn their heart to you first, that they would get right with their creator by confessing they've allowed sin into the room of their heart and that they are unable to expel it without your help. So Lord, I pray this moment that if they are there right now, that you would let them remove it. But by your power, by your name, and by your grace, by accepting your authority and your place as their beloved, Lord of their life, from now and forevermore, 
bring salvation and security and vulnerability and blessing and sweetness to their spiritual life that it might overflow into their physical life. We love you, Jesus.